Hello everyone, this is a Common House recording made on the 19th of May 2020 at the Activist Café. The Activist Café is an event, now of course online, where activists can exchange ideas, skill share and strategize together. Today the topic is radical income redistribution and how to set up a solidarity fund. Our speakers are Hunter from the London Buy Pandas and Seth from the Goose Green Solidarity Fund. Follow the Common House on Facebook to hear about future activist cafes and get in touch if you'd like to host one or have suggestions for topics or speakers. I hope you enjoy the recording. All right, great. Uh, thanks. So today we've got Seth from Goose Green Solidarity Fund and Hunter from the Bipandas COVID-19 <laughs> hardship fund for the marginalized LGBTQI plus folks. So um, I'm just going to ask a few questions, really basic ones, and uh, we'll just... So Seth, would you like to tell us how did your project come about? Yeah, sure. It actually came about after... No, it's actually before the lockdown began, there was a local mutual aid group that sprang into action very quickly, which was organised by uh, very well and um, quite transparently. So it seemed like a good sort of group to join. I was very glad to. I was able to sort of share some resources that I already knew about like collective processes and they appreciated that. And they said, would you like to be a part of the admin team? So I joined. And then from that, I realised that I, I didn't so much... I didn't have as much of a role there doing like administrative stuff. So I just offered like, what if we set up some kind of fund? It sort of, this idea of like a, of a, a leftist infrastructure or an infrastructure that can be worked towards and built up. I've been interested in for a while. I've been sort of in conversations with you, Grecia, and, and other groups as well, sort of thinking about dual power. So I thought it was a good opportunity. Also because we know that the conditions that are apparent in the lockdown are maybe just sort of slightly more obvious ones that have been pre-existing. So sort of income inequality, um, that kind of disparity going on. And I just reached out to some people. I said, hey, want to set up a fund? And people joined. And actually it was, it was very straightforward. Awesome. Hunter, would you like to tell us a bit about your fund and how that came about? Yeah, so my name is Hunter. I am from the London by Pandas. If you don't know what that is, we're a kind of community activist group. We were already fundraising for Pride 2020 because that's how we sort of came about last year was that we fundraised as a bisexual group trying to get a float for Pride. And so we're already kind of in this sort of fundraising phase where we'd raised a little bit of capital and we were we, we then found out that Pride was going to be postponed and we were also questioning our role within Pride 2020 because it's like uh, as much as we went with our ACAB decrim now signs last year, <laughs> they probably weren't the most excited about us having, having us there. We probably were questioning our relationship with Pride as well generally. And so when the lockdown happened, I think we were just kind of stumped about what to, what to do, what, how could we help, what could we be doing? Um, we were all very limited on capacity and resources, being a very sort of small community group, until one of my uh, sort of co-founders for the London by Pandas was like, we've got this money sitting around, we should just give it away. Why do we have it? We're not doing anything with it. 
you know, and we immediately kind of went, that's absolutely right. We could like use this to start, like start a hardship fund. And then we started having um, lots of conversations about who we actually wanted to help. Like initially we wanted to support um, trans people only with our hardship fund. And that was the conversation we went down around of like identifying who we wanted to help because we were thinking about all of the different needs that trans and non-binary people have outside of all of the kind of basic necessities as the kind of the fundraising team is predominantly trans I felt like that was a place that we kind of understood a bit more and no other like mutual aid fund was really addressing specific needs of different marginalizations they were very sort of general and we felt like some of them were really judgmental about what what money could be used for so we felt like you know for some mutual aid funds they decided that like this is only for like groceries and food you know, this is the level, this is what you you should be buying with. And they were kind of directing what you should be doing with the funds. And we felt like, actually, you know, if I, if a trans person wanted to go and buy a binder uh, as like a gender affirming necessity, th that wouldn't sort of count under some of the grant funding that was available. And so we had this discussion around different marginalizations and we ended up expanding um, as well to include other marginalizations because we felt like actually that we were kind of, maybe missing a trick a bit in terms of the support that we wanted to give because there were a whole bunch of other kind of groups that were being missed out such as you know people with disabilities for example um sex workers uh like by poc and all of these kind of other different sort of groups and so we ended up creating this fund specifically for those queer people who are marginalized who have other intersectionalities to their identity that put them at a disadvantage even more so during this landscape and so that's how we kind of came about. Brilliant, thanks for that. So earlier said, already heard something about uh, the tech you're using, but I wondered if you could explain a bit more about the technical side of your platform and also how did you, you know, how does, how does it work? How do you distribute, how do you get money? How do you distribute money, etc.? Yeah, sure. And before that, I'd just like to say that Hunter, that sounds brilliant, like the work that you're doing. Really, it like reminds me of there's something that was an inspiration for the Solidarity Fund that we're doing here that was set up in the US. And it seems like in the in the US, they have a lot more of an awareness of this, maybe because they don't have like a welfare state in the same way that we have or had had in this country. But it doesn't seem like there's a much better understanding of what like a, a solidarity fund as in you're not being judgmental you're just you're just there to provide money because like lord knows the money that i have i don't spend it on great things like you know i don't spend it on always legal things yeah. but oh, i think it was the same kind of question as well because that's from the comments that we've got in the chat is about what money should be spent on and one of the things that i really wanted to affirm with the fund is that we're not adjudicators we're not judging anybody for their needs and we cannot in any good conscience equate somebody's needs over somebody else's mm. we have no idea the context around their lives and we have no idea what's kind of leading them to need this thing we're not in a position of judgment at all we have to think of, of ourselves as basically administrators of money we're not here to push an agenda we're not here to decide who's more important and who's less important we're just here to be the sort of admin function of delivering financial aid it's uh it's like a, a redressing in a small way of like just historical impact just completely aren't individual problem i think it's a ridiculous idea I, I i like to think of the fund more as like a redistributor than like 
I don't know, just something to be thanked even. It's, it's a weird position to be in when you have people who are like being thankful and you're like, but like, you know, this money that we're being given, if people have more money then like 99% of the time they didn't get that because they worked harder. They got it because they were born into it or whatever. You know, there's like so many, like you were saying, intersections and like uh, things that we just can't comment on or shouldn't, shouldn't even want to comment on. So, um, but back back to the to the technology. So, like as um, as Rachel said earlier, we're using something called the the social change agency, which is a really like nifty bit of tech. It's really easy to use. It basically just means like legally, we don't have control. Well, we do have control. Like everything's transparent and open. But the money is hosted by uh, the social change agency on an open source platform. So it's sort of editable from the outside. Everything is fully transparent and people can bank transfer or PayPal money in. And then we have a system. I mean, the system is set up so that you have to provide a receipt, but actually we were like, well, we don't really, we don't want to know or make people feel judged for what they're spending the money on. So uh, we've kind of had this workaround that we're still not fully okay with where people provide a proof of address. And this isn't great, obviously, because there are a lot of people who are like out in the area. And so now we're working on like getting a virtual landline so that maybe there's another way that we can be reached where people can just say, and we just will have to trust them that they live in the area. Um, I guess the idea that we're, we're doing it on a postcode basis is purely because of like the resources we have and the capacity we have to deal with like people's requests. We've already given out nearly a thousand pounds over like three weeks. And that's, um, that's brilliant and people seem to be giving a lot of money um which is also great but i don't think we could be doing like on a much wider scale but like adjacent to that and maybe this would be a question creature that you'd ask later but i might just preempt it um we're also in the process it's like written into we've got a little constitution and we're like just trying to grow other funds so we've given resources to peckham and we've given resources to dulwich hill and they're both setting up solidarity funds which is awesome um just the idea that there's going to be some sort of like confederation of funds around South London um, that have sprung up around would be brilliant to know. Um, but yeah, that's maybe so many tangents that I can't remember what the original question was, but there we go. Great. Um, the same to Hunter then. Um, how does it work technically speaking? And is there any software that you're using or any program? Yeah, so we, we were kind of unsure about what to use and how what the best way of processing money and getting it to people the fastest was and we opted for for directly using a paypal pool where we could withdraw funds and potentially send them to people within hours of their application prior to that we were thinking about maybe using a gofundme but we realized that requires at least five to ten working days to withdraw funds to a bank account and then process them we also wanted to use a paypal because we felt that a lot of people would have more access to, to potentially creating a PayPal than they would feel comfortable sharing their bank details with us as well. And then there's a whole bunch of GDPR issues around storing bank details and things like that and all of these kind of things. So we, we had a lot of questions in mind of like how and what we do. We decided not to use GoFundMe, but also for an ideological reason, because they continue to host, or at that time, continue to host the LGB Alliance's fundraising campaign. 
So we were like, they were kind of stopping trans people from getting top surgery by suspending their accounts as fraudulent, things like that. So we were like, okay, maybe GoFundMe is not the best option because we have a lot of trans people in this particular group who've been impacted by GoFundMe. So we opted for PayPal instead. Now there is a whole bunch of different options that people can use. PayPal has a number of kind of issues that sort of comes up with it because we made a new account with PayPal and we immediately got flagged as fraudulent <laughs> and because it was money coming in and money going out and so also because of COVID-19 all of PayPal's customer service was down so we found it really difficult to kind of navigate PayPal systems in a more efficient way we also ended up having to kind of withdraw out from PayPal to a bank account anyway. So the whole point of pay using PayPal was to like be able to send it straight from the pool without really necessarily associating loads of bank accounts with it and things like that. It was messy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it, was, it was a hot mess, <laughs> but I think it was still probably more efficient than using GoFundMe um, and withdrawing a huge amounts of money to a singular bank account because we're also not set up or registered as a charity or as an NGO very deliberately to avoid kind of legalization and regulation of our group. We decided to use a, a personal bank account for somebody who was happy to volunteer to do it. Initially, we didn't think we were going to raise more than three, four or five thousand pounds at the most. So we were like, ah, at this level of scale, like it's okay. It won't necessarily impact your tax bracket, blah, blah, blah. We raised over £21,000, so totally not panicking about this particular individual's tax return next year. But, so yeah, so these are just things to, to kind of bear in mind. Like PayPal is not scalable, I would say. You know, you probably want to go somewhere else. Think about like things if you're a registered organisation, like what tools are available to you because we weren't. Question, is there a, a limit? Yeah, so in terms of the kind of questions that we're asking people when they're applying to do to, to, for a hardship grant, we only asked for the name that they wanted us to use, an email address so we could contact them and a payment and some sort of payment detail, whether that was a PayPal email or whether that was their bank account details so we could make the payment to them. We had a limit of £150 maximum per grant and we suggested that people could ask us if they needed more funds, but we ended up having more grants to be able to offer a secondary grant to anybody until right at the end of the project. Uh, we used, uh, I think, Google Forms to collect that data, but we also added some optional questions that people could answer if they really felt like sharing that information with us, including some, some fairly sensitive data, such as what marginalization they were from or that they, that they felt was like the label was relevant to them. So we could identify which groups needed the money the most, for example, um, and which groups that weren't being reached, for example. So we could change how we were sort of sharing and which groups that we were sharing it in. Um, and also to really identify which groups were also being really severely impacted um, by COVID-19. So just to help us analyze stuff afterwards. We also added a why question um, of like, why do you need the funds? And this was again, an optional question. People did not need to answer it. People could put in as much, or as little information and details as they wanted. This would be completely non-judgmental. So we made that really clear that we're not here to judge what you're using your money for. We even gave people examples. For example, like if you are asking for this much money, you could use it for this. So for example, if you're a trans person and you wanted to buy a binder, that's definitely absolutely all right. We're not here to judge what you need it for. Um, so people, some people opted to share details with us, some people didn't. Um, and then 
I think that's it. So as soon as we got details come through, if that person kind of met our criteria, oh, sorry, we also asked for people's postcode as well. We didn't ask for a full address. We just asked for people's postcode because we also put a limit on London-based um, applicants only just so that we weren't, um, we were trying to make it as sustainable as possible for us. So we had to put some limitations in to the fund because we didn't know how much money we were going to raise. We didn't know how many applications we were going to get. So it was important to have some limitations in place to stop ourselves from like, trying to help everybody i think that was the thing that we reiterated like your our fund isn't going to help everybody we just need to focus on the people that it will and that's really important that we carve that um kind of audience out and really focus on them and focus on helping them everybody's gonna have like a really difficult story that was gonna really impact us and we're gonna wanna help everybody, but it's really important to understand that we're not gonna be able to achieve that and that was i think a really hard thing for the team as well to be able to to address because we were getting emails coming in from people that are like, I'm not based in London, but I'm like homeless. And I, and so we were like, well, I'm sorry, we can't help you. Like that's the limit that we put on as much as we'd like to. We've had, we're oversubscribed on applicants from London anyway. And then we had loads of discussions as well. I'm like, what do we do about all of these other applicants that we can't help? So we ended up creating a Facebook group as well where we could share um, other grants, um, other sources of funding, everything that's to do with finance and money in particular. So around like how to, uh, like the London Renters Union and around the rent strikes, so if you're not able to pay your rent, this is where you could find support. So we created like a little bit of a community around people who wanted to have financial information around COVID-19 and support and aid. Um, can I post the link? What's the name of the Facebook group? Yes, I can definitely post all of those, all of those things um, after this. Um, but yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that we were sort of doing in our process. It was still very messy. I think we, we thought about it a lot, but um, because of the scale of the project, um, it went for four or five times as much bigger than we kind of anticipated it was going to be. Um, and I think we really struggled with that as a group because it meant that we were getting kind of repeat applicants as well. And we didn't know how to deal with that because people were just applying again and we had no way of kind of checking that as well and so we were like having to do like manual checks which is a thing that we didn't want to have to do um either what do we do about that so we um we basically looked at the payment details of people so people use the same paypal email or the same bank account we were able to identify if an applicant had applied before or if we made a payment to them before um, and then we just kind of emailed them to tell them that we weren't offering a second grant we didn't take the position that somebody was being fraudulent with our um uh hardship fund even though that person might have applied a few times for example um, it was not our place to judge or make that call on somebody else's motivations or intentions because I think there's a lot of I think like a sensationalization around like oh what about fraud what about fraud what about fraud and it's like no people are really fucking desperate people aren't being fraudulent they're being they're desperate like some people don't have anything to eat like we cannot ascribe any motivations to anybody's actions because again we're not adjudicators in this we're not here to judge anybody we can just go back and give them the opportunity to be like, hey, we're, we can't pay you again. We identified that you've applied again and just kind of end that conversation there as much as possible. And so that's the kind of approach that we took with that. Um, I think if we were gonna do the fund again, we've had loads of conversations around um, how do we identify, how do we make it easier for ourselves from the identification process? Cause that was a lot of manual work that we had to do that we weren't expecting to do either. Um, so we hadn't really thought about it once the the, the uh, fund had scaled so, to such a significant 
size and is thinking about like potentially IP addresses um, and like uh, finding ways to kind of identify like multiple information and I think Google Forms also only allows you to apply once if you use the same email address things like that just to kind of make it clear that there's this is like a one application time fund if that's the kind of fund that we want to do um, so we're not quite sure yet but those are some learnings about stuff mm. Seth, did you want to come back on that or maybe Rachel? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to, but also Rachel, okay. if you want to. Um. I, can, I can if there's any like gaps. I'm, I'm like trying to like walk a line here between I did not come to this meeting to like shill for my work on any level. <laughs> but like also if anyone wants help with the tech side and think it sounds good, I will very gladly help people. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that I'm going to get loads of the, the technical stuff, like just not quite precise. So feel free to jump in. Um, I really like what you were saying, Hunter, about like the, it feels like a really empathetic process. And maybe this is something really banal to say, but like whilst doing this, it can, there is like a, a part of you, if you've been doing it for a while, you sort of understand it more mechanically and can actually alienate yourself from the people that you're interacting with. And it's really important to like humanize, rehumanize constantly, um, like feel that kind of anger that there are people there who are coming to you like three times in a week and they're like, we need more money. And you're like, well, we, we can't give you that money, but you know, maybe we can help in other ways. We can have this conversation um, because yeah, and maybe that's a difference between like a solidarity fund or a hardship fund compared to like some more legalized body is that actually you you have the space to have a conversation and and to not feel like you're also embodying a weird power dynamic. That that also comes up quite a bit like in conversations with me and the other admins is like, well, this is really weird because we literally, this is like, this is a weird power and it you know, how do we guard against like that, either going to making it an egoistic business or, or, or something like that. So actually being able to like constantly be in a dialogue with the people that you're, you have a relation to like through this, this is super important. And I like the way you have like actual, you know, a list of questions. Cause at the moment we just have like email interactions, but um, there was another group I was thinking of in America called um, I think Woodbine or Woe or something like that. And they, um, they basically go around and they organize with, with houseless people and they just ask them what they want. And they're like, well, how can we help you? You know, they don't come with a, a preconceived idea of, of how to help someone. They actually need to be led. And that's like brilliant. And so in this kind of questioning and in this dialogue, we're kind of always having this process of like, well, what is it that people are using the money for? How, you know, how much money, you know, can we make this even easier can we change our processes can we change our like conditions to this like being led by the people that you're interacting with um to a certain extent and also like like you were saying you know making sure you're okay as well because because this can be like really tough at times and i think one of the things that we definitely did was make sure that um the people that were within the, the fundraising team who were dealing with this hardship fund had some had some of those same intersections that we were trying to help so we always had those marginalized voices within that fundraising team who are making these kind of um, decisions or uh, like adding these limitations to the fund or, or communicating with people who are from those same backgrounds and those same challenges. So actually um, it made it 
really easy, I think, to empathize and not to come in with some sort of savior complex either. I think the way that we sort of framed it isn't that this is a charity fund, this isn't a charity grant, this is wealth redistribution. This is, again, like not to harp on about this like boring like administration thing, this is just correcting the structural administration error that's happened for millennia. That's what we're here to do. That's a polite way of putting it. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> you take from the rich and give to the poor, right? Great. Uh, Rachel, maybe um, there's a, there was a question in the chat about how to make sure that you don't lose access to your money if the one person in charge of your bank account uh, stops doing their job. So, so Open Collective is like the platform, it's the website. And in theory, Open Collective, there are plenty of Open Collective pages. Like there's a really cool mutual aid fund in Portland that's run by one person. Or I think it's a shared email account, but it's, it's one account. Um, when we started to set this up, we were trying, like, basically, we've tried to figure out a way of getting people groups in a state where we can, like, host them in a way that it couldn't, can take less than 24 hours. But we're also, if someone comes to us and goes, like, how do you know you're not being used for money laundering? We can go, well, we have done this and this and this. And one of the things we thought about was, like, it's actually not even so much about transparency and making sure lots of people have access to a fund. It's because we're in a global pandemic and we don't want to get stuck with someone else's money. Um, so we are just as a policy do not allow any page live that's not got at least three people um, running it at all times and if someone drops off we, like we'll send emails and if we don't get a response quickly on why that's happened and that someone new is coming we would probably ask Open Collective to freeze the page until it does in part because of that because there's a fear that if someone like were to decide oh I'm going to take all of this over and I'm going to empty the page and also um, so the way OC works the three people who run the page click approve or reject on the expenses they make the decisions but the actual admin of like making manual bank transfers and PayPal our finance team do that um, which is like quite useful for groups because it means you're not doing lots of like very boring admin that you know, we people are being paid to do that so don't worry about it um, if it ever looked like somebody was kind of emptying a fund, it, it's not they wouldn't do it, but they would email all of the admins and all of the email addresses we've got and say, like, is this really okay? Have you all agreed to this? Do you know what's happening here? So it's kind of, I guess that's, that's where kind of having the host on Open Collective kind of adds an additional layer. Like we're not here to make decisions about what people do or don't do with the money, but if something looks dodgy, we will check in with people because it's we're kind of like an extra check, I guess. That's, that's how. Cool. So do groups like uh, Goose Green need to pay uh, to use your platform? No. Um, you, you can set, so ordinarily the model is that hosts would set a percentage of like donations. We didn't want to do that. We didn't think it'd be useful for anyone. Um, we're not, I, I think we're probably going to lose money on this, but like it's, it's, it's fine. We'll, we, it brings in other projects and stuff. Um, but we have gone to like big foundations and philanthropists and almost covered our staff costs to run it for a few months and then like when it runs out we'll probably go to some other foundations like we, we that's that's the model and we've kind of already as a business kind of taken the decision that if it loses the business money that's fine because it wasn't it wasn't ever about like this is how we make money it's like you know we're all kind of going what can we do our company has like a very long history of supporting unconstituted social work movements so this seemed like an obvious thing we could do so yeah it's not we don't, we don't ever charge, uh, Stripe has fees because the card payments use Stripe, PayPal has fees, 
And after the end of June, Open Collective themselves are going to start charging 5% on card payments. And we are trying to talk to some funders to see if we can give like little grants to all our pages to cover that 5%. But Social Change Agency, we, we do not charge. Unless you're a big corporate charity that has a bank account and just quite likes the idea of us running your admin, in which case we might charge. <laughs> Keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm personally really interested in, um, you know, Seth, you mentioned the dual power earlier. So I was going to ask you then, what does that, what does that even mean? But I'll ask you that now because I want to know more about how does setting up a solidarity fund uh, fit into your broader political project or vision as you have it? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, gosh, um, so that maybe it's easier to talk about like historically coming from like London and growing up in London. I've, I've grown up in like post or during neoliberal London and have seen only like the tip of or like the end of maybe some infrastructure that had existed on the radical scene that had been there um, maybe flourishing in like the 60s, 70s and, and then sort of since then things have fallen away. So I guess it's been part of like a wider conversation I've had with uh, comrades I've met uh, either at like social centres or through sort of different activist groups. Um, just talking about how to like build that back up and and it is interesting and it is like a weird sort of contradiction to think of this like a fund which exists on a virtual kind of space but is actually doing like a materially important thing um for people like how does that fit into it when we can't like just go and like buy a social center i know there are groups that are doing great like squats like uh, like grass up in north london that's amazing um so so i'm getting kind of muddled here but maybe thinking about dual power like what that means um like i personally am, am really uh inspired by like the black panther party um and what they did in the usa in combining an explicit politics of emancipation and liberation from colonialism and from imperialism and from all of the terrible isms but also doing things that were actually like materially useful for the people that they served and were within and like you know this this is like a food for children educational programs it's part of like a kind of just like giving people what they need and you know i guess i was a bit frustrated having gone to having been a really like strong like protester gone to loads of protests and then thought okay well maybe how do we actually build a base and this also ties in with like union stuff so i'm in the iww i'm a union organizer um i'm a rep for them and it's part of like a longer term strategy with interaction interactions not just with people on the left but people who we live amongst and who are our neighbors and um i, don't, I think that's easy to overlook it's also great to have like radical groups to go to and just be nourished by and have these conversations but like also interacting with people outside of the the, the bubble um as it were did that answer any of it i feel like i went on a big tangent but yeah yeah i think so um hunter do you have any um thoughts on how does how does this fit into the bipanda's uh, political project yeah i think I think when you use the phrase dual power, it kind of really cemented what the bypandas was about for me because I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, 
I have like it just feels like there's a lot of kind of rhetoric around in the activist space of these kind of like um idea like kind of intellectual ideas that might not necessarily be as open to everyone as possible um and to coming in as like a brown muslim immigrant to the country like 10 years ago i am just like what the fuck is going on here i have no idea what many of these people are talking about when they sort of talk about like anarcho socialist communist whatever blah 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 and so um i think uh when i sort of got into activism it was very much in a very different direction it was specifically looking at supporting women in Pakistan with domestic violence and things like that. So like had a really kind of very focused vision. And so when I came out as bisexual and trans and non-binary and all of these sort of things, um, and then got into kind of accidentally by activism last year with like this massive accidental bisexual cult that's now behind me <laughs> um this has been a real learning curve of like what who are we what what do we what do we stand for what do we do um and how does everything kind of fit into it and so um i've been, I've been learning a lot of new things last year <laughs> um and that's been yeah and that's been like like really challenging in many ways but really reiterates for me how important it is to have accessibility at the heart of activism to have things be as open and as simple as possible for people to really understand what things are about um, and whether they want to support them or not and what kind of actions they can do and how tangible it can be we can get really lost in all of these narratives around you know what what something means like the whole idea of like kind of left infighting is just this sort of standard now of like these kind of minor nuances of difference in behavior um because we're predominantly very ideological ideologically led um and so when we sort of set up who who or what the bipandas is initially we, we were just a pride float <laughs> that, that that's who we were we were a pride float we we're a community group um and it kind of really flourished from there because we realized that the people around us have all of these things that they really cared about and i've been sort of talking about colonialism quite a lot i've been talking about like other kind of intersectionalities as as a muslim immigrant to the uk um from pakistan so like i had my own kind of agenda and then the person that i set up by pandas with is a is a sex worker and a trans person and they have their own kind of ideas as well um, and we both kind of looked at each other and kind of went, A cab, A cab. <laughs> and, and then we sort of started connecting and bringing all of our values in together. And that kind of built our huge manifesto that's on our website, which talks about the values that we believe in rather than the politics that we have, in that we are political, but we don't, um, or like, yeah, we engage with politics, but we're not necessarily like have a political system or structure, as it were. Um, and so a part of the values that we have are, you know, uh, being uh, anti-capitalist in many ways. So we, we describe ourselves as an anti-capitalist group living in a capitalist world. <laughs> and what does that kind of mean for the things that we want to do? And so wealth redistribution falls really squarely in, in this uh, hardship fund and connects it really well to who we are and what we're about. Um, and that was part of our framing as well when we talked about the fund because we really didn't want to frame it as a like i said before as like this charity thing that you're doing out of the good of your heart no champagne socialist this is your time to put your money where your mouth is like here is a time to actually actively take part in wealth redistribution britney spears said it so it's true now we all have to do it <laughs> like this is our time um and so like making that point really clear especially during covid where being salaried is now suddenly part you're part of the 
like the 1% just even being salaried, you know, you're, you have a stable income. Now's the time to redistribute it. So just making that story and making that narrative really clear, I think help really connect the community um, and, and get them to understand also like what wealth redistribution potentially looks like and reframing. Cause I, and this is really controversial. I, as an individual, definitely not as London by pandas don't believe in charity. I think charity is a failure of government. Um, and so it really upsets me when people like talk about how great charity is. And I'm like, no, charity is a failure of government. We should be talking about how some, some huge body has failed with all of our tax money. Um, <laughs> I'm going on a massive rant here now, so I'll try and rein it in a little bit. Um, <laughs> but basically, yes, yeah, so that's, I think, um, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of end there, but that's how it sort of aligns, the hardship aligns with who we are as kind of a, like, grassroots community group. <laughs> awesome, ranting is allowed. Um, all right, cool. So, um, am I rightly understanding then uh seth that this is a it's not just a pandemic um solidarity fund it's going to be around it's it's like there to stay right yeah yeah definitely i mean like sort of amen to the anti-capitalism this this is going to be here like it's been before maybe covid has just thrown it up into starker contradictions and sort of more exaggerated and horrific forms that it was already taken but yeah we're, we definitely hope to continue, which is, and that maybe I can answer a question someone else like put about how much we give out. Um, we want to give out more than we do, but we give out like 50 pounds fortnightly and people can like use it to top up whatever like bills or, you know, whatever they want to use. But mm. in some way that goes towards making it a sustainable project. Um, and also, I guess the way it's set up means that actually four people there four admins we can just like do it at the end of the day or whatever and we can give a certain amount of time sustainably to it and like hopefully just that'll build and that's also the idea of like the the confederation or the networks or like trying to spread the idea so that we can stay here in this community, community like where we're, we're in and the people we know and people in another area can do theirs and that, and that's like but there's a dialogue as well so um but yeah certainly the conditions that are being shown up to be as horrific as they are now are going to still be and potentially like worse after the virus has like dissipated which is to say we don't know also when the virus is going to properly dissipate you know the fact that there are so many people being forced back to work now makes the the need for a fund so maybe people can use some of it so they don't have to work like an extra day or whatever that makes it even more important um yeah. just going to continue going forward so yeah, yeah. For, exactly. for that longevity is like important is important and i suppose people can also set up like a monthly uh, direct debit with you if they want to donate yeah and please do <laughs> um yeah, yeah i mean you know certainly a percentage of your income uh, yeah i mean and it's really interesting having grown up in this area um which was gentrified like before i was even born um and yet still that is almost used as a mask for the existing inequality that's now just hidden. It's not like gentrification stops inequality. It just like pushes it aside. It makes us like try and forget that it's there, but um, cause that still exists. And, and so also this area is now full of really like fuck off wealthy people, like ridiculously wealthy people who have horrific looking expensive cars in front of their homes. 
um, just it's really it's 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 kind of grotesque. So I'm hoping that we can guilt them into giving uh, money, you know, short of actually like forcing them. To yeah, <laughs> I do. Yeah, I don't know. It 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 is, and it and it's also a really weird feeling to then be like grateful for the money that you do get because it's also like we shouldn't be grateful. This should just be happening, right? This should like the fact that you and your hundred thousand pounds a year salary are giving us a hundred quid. That's that's a lot for for us. Not a lot for you. <laughs> it's it's a weird. It's again, it's another contradiction. Like this, it just throws up so many like weird tensions and contradictions and and you yeah i mean it's true that most of like the organizing and the relief for working class people has been from working class people it's not coming from the top so it's it's again you know looking after each other but like understanding what conditions what 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 is being produced by that yeah so hunter is is your fund also uh, going to be around for the duration or? Um, so we closed our fund. We decided that um, for, because we're all messy, chaotic, queer volunteers that have severe mental health challenges and marginalizations and intersectionalities that it wasn't sustainable for us to continue to do the fund throughout all of the lock, all of lockdown because it was too unstable as a as an idea for many of us. Um, we, I think we were live, we've closed the fund now. We were live for about 50 days almost, which is a really long time to consistently fundraise. Um, it was really, it was really exhausting. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I've ever thanked that many people on Twitter and Facebook in my life. But um, yeah, I think it was, what, that's one of the things that we have in our um, hardship fund guide that we wrote as well is to like have a stop point as something that we really advised depending on your team and your capacity and your resources because um, it allows you to pause, reassess, analyze, improve, and then start again after a break. Um, mm. So that's our current plan is to potentially do a phase two of the fund once we've analyzed how everything went. Um, at the moment, the team is just taking, uh, I think two or three weeks off uh, from fundraising, from thinking about the fund and from just like, just allowing ourselves to breathe and recuperate and, um, you know, assess our own trauma in this uh, horrible, horrible landscape at the moment. Um, but it's, yeah, I think we really wanted to like draw that line in the sand because we tried to draw that line a few times. We're like, we'll raise 5,000 pounds and we'll end it there. Okay, no, I guess we're raising 10,000 pounds. Oh no, okay, we're gonna help a hundred people. Okay, I guess we're helping 120 people. And that line just kept getting moved and shifted as we like gained more and more momentum and the project grew to a scale that we weren't ready for, that we hadn't prepared for, that we didn't know how to cope with either because the, um, I think the amount of really, harrowing emails that we were getting through from an already quite traumatized team to try and read through and respond with empathy and care was incredibly challenging um and we just weren't we just weren't ready i think we were unprepared for how big this would get um so we decided to have an actual stop by using a, a date a line in the sand that that this is it we try and help as many people as possible um we had some surplus funds at the end of the the, the stop basically um, and we decided to reach out back out to everybody who had applied more than once and give them an opportunity to accept the, the sort of bonus funds. So we divided that amongst the 25, 30 people, whoever it was that had applied for more funds or applied for the application uh, process more than once and said, you have 
four or five days if you can respond to us by this date and by this time we'll include you in the pot and you can get an additional round of funding if you don't reply we'll spread that back out amongst everybody else and I think a lot of people did reply and we were able to give and help people one last time as well so that was really rewarding um but yeah like we I think we've made those final payments two days ago so this has been 60 60 days maybe longer than that of yeah just thinking about nothing else but the fund and that that is an incredible amount of money that you were able to disperse like yeah just blown away <laughs> completely blown away by it and also, how did you, um, uh, there's a question in the chat from Nils asking, how did you even find the people? How did you uh, like publicize your, how did you get people donating? I think uh, we made it really tangible for other people to help us. We were really clear in how people could be helping us. Like the London Pipe by Pandas has been building its community for the last um year and we have about 680 members in it now so there's already like a, a small community where we can um like kind of blast it out and ask for help and obviously not all 680 people will be helping but if 50 out of those people are helping to signal boost this campaign that's a huge amount of reach that we've gotten already um we had a lot of concerns as well around marketing because this was a specific fund to help lgbtqia people and we'd singled out trans people within the marginalization and the london by pandas has already come under attack by trans exclusionary radical feminists quite a lot um so we were really limited as well in terms of the the social media platforms that we were using so it's predominantly on facebook we held a fundraising event we had um I don't know how this idea <laughs> happened, but we had a butt-themed dance party on Zoom. <laughs> it was just booty bangers. And we had, I think, um, because I'm a drag artist and I have loads of kind of friends who are also drag artists, we managed to get 10, 12 performers, some ridiculous amount, to all do butt-themed performances. Had this huge dance party, I think, that raised nearly a £1,000 just on that night alone. Um, we also then created a, a kind of activism version of a Don't Rush video challenge that I think racked up 10,000 views. Um, but we put the donation link in the description on the top of that. So that helped us gain even more visibility. We asked people to send it around to their workplaces. So making sure that our allies are also stepping up for us and that we're sending it to salaried people. Um, luckily, the agency that I work at is run by a, a, like two elderly, gay, very rich gay men. And so it kind of fitted in with that. And people were quite happy for me to sort of share it around. We also continually... Um, tried to give updates to people and made very clear yeah action points of like how can how can you help us can you send it to your workplace what rich white cis gay man do you know that has a whole bunch of pink pound that they can give to this fund send it to that guy send it to that white guy right there and making it really clear that this was also the duty of those who who don't have those marginalizations if you are cis if you are able-bodied if you're salaried if you're white if you benefit from the status quo in any way this is your responsibility to come in and step up and do your part and make sure that other people who don't benefit like you do have an opportunity to get through this landscape awesome awesome um so i was going to ask about scalability and networking and seth has already kind of touched on that by uh neighborhoods set up similar funds right so that's that was going to be that question 
Did you want to say anything else about that, Seth? Uh, I think I think that probably covers it. I mean, yeah, like I guess related to what we talked about before about building, um, however you want to call it, either dual power or just like alternatives that kind of fill in where the state is just completely like it's just absent, deliberately yeah. so, or like just because it's a, a nightmare of bureaucracy or, or austerity or whatever. Um, but yeah, so we've we've had like a couple of funds and just we've made a DIY guide um, that I'm happy to like, you know, if you just DM me or write in the chat, I can send you it um, just about our experiences and also what it means to like be in a collective and like how to navigate like personal or interpersonal like tensions or contradictions or um, uh, like mediating your own like um, issues and, and just like, yeah, how to run it in maybe like a consensus way or whatever um but yeah it's about for us um building those long-term networks that can like continue to help people going forwards um and so like whoever wants to set one up will just like give as much of our resources as possible in time um which has been really great because a lot of people have reached out and we've been able to help them and, and that's cool because it's it's not just about like redistributing wealth it's about redistributing knowledge too and time and like because mm -hmm. you know this this project the 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 liberatory project that we kind of in many ways ascribe to um is is that it's a collective project that we can't be individual in 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 as much as we have been sort of conditioned by capitalist society so knowledge is is just one part of that so yeah sure brilliant and uh, thanks for sharing your knowledge with all of us this evening as well. And so both um, you and uh, the BIPANDAS have written a guide on how to set up a solidarity fund. So we'll be linking that in the notes um, or you can message Seth to get a copy of that. Um, so that'll be helpful perhaps um, if anyone now wants to, we've had a couple of questions uh, in the chat, one is about how do you, what if you have finite resources, you have competing demands, you can only give as much to one person. Like how do you adjudicate who gets to have it? Or do you just split it? I don't know. Maybe Hunter? Um, yeah, so one of the things we did was before we even did the fund was outline who we were going to help. Who is the individual that we have decided to help in this? Um, and then thought about, uh, you know, we're not here to adjudicate their needs, so we decided to give the grants chronologically as they came in. Um, we would pause applications once we ran out of money, raise more funds and reopen and then continue giving out money in that kind of way. So we decided chronological was the best way for us to do this in a way that felt fairest, least judgmental, that didn't make uh, force us to kind of decide whose needs were more important. I think there were some kind of um, you know, within the team, we did have like moments where, for example, um, you know, we got some applications from people uh, who were with street homeless or like reverting to like street sex work to kind of manage the pandemic versus somebody who had said that they needed to like pay their rent. Uh, and so the discussion within the team was like, well, the rent strike is happening. Why can't they do that? We should help this person first. And, and then it, uh, eventually mm. it was just very much 
making that decision of like, we don't know these people's contacts, the information that they've given us is two, three sentences, maybe a paragraph at most. We cannot judge anybody, let alone judge them based on that little amount of information that we've asked for. Um, and just kind of reminding the team, I think, um, you know, it's really good to have somebody who is kind of leading that because it can be really easy if you're inexperienced with kind of dealing with other people's trauma to get emotionally swept up in and like want to try and do the thing and help everybody but it's just taking a step back and kind of going okay you know this is not something that I can fix like we have made the process really clear and if we deviate from that process it's unfair to these other like 20 or 30 people who applied for it this way when we break that process um so we need to just be as fair as possible as neutral as possible as non-judgmental non-judgmental as possible and just continue in that vein if we break from that then we're letting down everybody else who's applied and we're opening ourselves up to um criticism to uh to also like you know one of the things that we're really worried about was the fact that turfs had sort of come in and said that we were scamming people um they'd kind of been like these people are fundraising that's a scam london by pandas is a scam and so we wanted to be really clear that we were not a scam <laughs> uh you know we we did everything that we could to make it really transparent really clear about the way that we were making payments we made a a transparent anonymized Google spreadsheet with the timestamp of a request and the amount of money that was requested as it came in. And then a, a column that showed the date that we made the payment out. So you could see what the chronological requests that were coming in were and when and where that we were making that payment out as well. So we were just making that very clear. This is a chronological process. And we made that clear in our instructions um, to apply as well. Like we'll be paying you chronologically if we have the money. Um, and managing those expectations of the applica applicants up front as well. Um, because sometimes also like when you're swept up in your own trauma, you can be really focused on it and not realize that there's other people that are just as traumatized as you in this landscape who are applying for the same things as you. Um, and, you know, if that's your process, just kind of go with it. Yeah, it must be really hard not to get involved in uh, people's lives and want to send them other advice on how to access other resources and uh, some of the food projects that we've seen popping up all over the place, of course. Um, we, we have the Facebook group as well, yeah. so we ask people to join it. And then uh, anytime I see something that's even vaguely money related, I chuck it into that Facebook group. So it's becoming just a kind of financial resource hub rather than a place where people are having lots of conversations about their trauma. So this is just like, here is a place where if anything's about money, whether that's like a job opportunity for LGBTQ creatives, or whether that's another hardship fund, or whether that's a grant funding, or whether that's the rent strike information, it just goes straight into that. It's like a funnel of information for people who want it, who, who need more help beyond the hardship grant. Okay, great. That leads uh, well to my final question, which is going to be, um, what advice would you have for uh, people or groups trying to set up something similar and Finally, how can we find out more about what you've done? You've obviously mentioned the guide you've done and um, we've, we're going to put that in the show notes, but if there's any other, um, any other social media, et cetera, you want to plug, then go for it. Um, uh, Seth, first of all. Uh, sure. What was the first one? I remember the social media because that was weirdly mm. in my mind. Um, I was asking what advice would you have for anyone uh, wanting to set up something similar? Um, honestly, the easier or the thing that's made it easier is 
like-minded people who get it, who just get what it's about. Because I've been in the local mutual aid group and they're wonderful, but by and large, they are liberals who kind of have, they've got one element of what's wrong in society and that is their line. They, they don't see it as, like you were talking about, Hunter, like intersectionalities. They don't see it as uh, class warfare. There's, there's all of these, these things. And running the Solidarity Fund has been so much easier because we all have like a shared understanding of what produces these inequalities that we're trying to fix or not trying to fix or, or like in some ways are addressing, you know, we can, we can put it like that. That has been incredibly helpful. Um, yeah, and you can find us on at Fund Goose. It's fun saying the Twitter because I feel like an old man when I talk about Twitter. Um, and uh, on the, I think you go goosegreenmutualaid.com or something like that. Um, and also um, Goose Green Solidarity Fund on the Open Collective site. That's what we're on. Follow the Twitter. I, I have, it's great fun. All right, uh, same question to Hunter. Um, any kind of last advice? I have so many, uh, like the guide that I just shared after each section, there's like a remember the da 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 section of like actual advice as well. Everyone go through all of them. People can kind of read um, them at their kind of own pace. But the one thing that's kind of not mentioned there is credibility and how to build credibility. So one of the things that um, inspires people to give more money is if people are giving money to something. <laughs> And that's probably why a lot of fundraising projects don't succeed is because they'll have like a hundred pounds in it and people are like, oh, why aren't people giving money to this? This doesn't seem legit. Um, so we had already fundraised before then. So we had, I think, 1100 pounds to start off with. So we could chuck that straight into that funding goal and have that like kind of nice big over a thousand pound number to inspire other people to donate. And so building credibility is like really important. Um, if you don't have that capital up front, what you can do is before you even launch is make sure you've got like 20, 20 people that can donate on the day and set your, your fund up with like the right amount of momentum that it needs uh, to give yourself that credibility, to help yourself build that kind of um, sustainable movement. But otherwise you're gonna be faffing around for ages trying to get loads of people to donate and people will be like, ah, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow. Um, but just making sure that you have like people lined up. If you've got some community connections, if you've got some rich white gays, like get them in be like, okay, this is the day you have to give money. <laughs> Please do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like further to that, like you were saying about momentum is like having, like it's really great to just know what you're about beforehand, have like a, a constitution, an ethos, like who you're doing it for, why you're doing it. Um, you know, just be ready in your head, have those questions kind of answered and you'll you'll come up with, against so many more questions things will be chucked up that you'll have had no idea how to deal with and it'll be hard but like um having some kind of basis is really important so you can like just like you were saying you know have some momentum mm -hmm. great awesome i also love seeing the the doggies out there in um <laughs> <laughs> elsewhere in uh, london um all right any does anyone else i want to ask uh, a huntress um or Seth, any any questions about this or make comments? Um, I have a question which maybe isn't something that you came across. Am I here? Can people hear me? Yes, yes. yes. Um, so we have started a solidarity fund and been 
giving people we were really lucky we got like a large donate or fairly large donation from one local person um and we like don't have that many people we have like we have people who are giving to regularly every week we don't have that many people who we're giving money to uh and we kind of have like some offers of money but because of how we're administering it it's like hard to receive small donations at the moment um so we're a bit like well we could fundraise more but at the moment we kind of need more people or like we feel like there's probably people there that we're missing basically but um yeah and it's I think part of it's like a pride thing like people just people just really aren't used to just being like I need some money and then people someone just giving them some money without asking loads of questions or them having to fill out a massive form or anything uh yeah just wondering if anyone had any thoughts on that yeah hunter you want to go first um i think it's just about like the way that we frame it um in that um you have the power to ask for money and like reiterating that this is a non-judgmental process if that's the thing that you feel like is holding people back it might also be that you're reaching out in channels that that, that those people just don't um engage with so when we did our kind of marketing for the for for applications it was different to the way that we marketed for donors um so we shared specifically in different facebook groups that um that we knew had different marginalized lgbtqia plus people in it so we went straight to like a cutie pock group uh we went to like i think like i don't know if anybody's part of sluts of color and like different kind of groups of that like that um we also uh you know shared it alongside um when people are sort of talking about it in mutual aid groups as well to kind of go like if, if somebody sort of commented saying like i need help i don't know what i'm doing and just sharing the kind of application process or the web page or whatever it is that you have there um and just kind of spending some time on on like looking for these people um i think that's that's the only thing that you can kind of do um but if you still find that you're struggling and like don't know what to do with the money give it to another mutual aid fund mm. Yeah. And yeah, like there's a lot of shame actually that's been internalized around like money, um, just like the way we deal with it. And it's sort of individualized. So like the language is important. And we've been very clear in our one that it's about redistribution, that people like don't need to be grateful. They shouldn't be grateful. This is like, you know, like a historical wrong. I mean, we've also done like basic, like practical things like flyering on the high street, going into corner shops, you know, off licenses um places that people uh have already we we have like you know because we've been shopping there for years or whatever we know the people who run it and they know people and i think we all have like a kind of networks of contacts already uh that maybe we just we just need to coax out you know people who work as like uh teachers or whatever they'll know parents who are struggling or you know like you'll be like there are ways to find them but they maybe take a bit more time and like need you also need to start it's like building a trust right as well um and just to add one last thing to that is that we started getting a lot of credibility from applicants once we started being included on resource lists that we had no idea we were going to be included on so lists that other people have created to to aggregate all of the different funds for different kind of needs so we found ourselves on like a lot of like by poc group uh, who had created these lists and directly linked to the application form and things like that yeah 
One thing I did wonder, uh, Seth, you said you went leafleting around shops and so on. So I was wondering if you're an older person or a person who doesn't do internet or um, all these complicated uh, online forms to fill out, etc. Is there a way to get money from you without going online? Yeah, there's, um, like we were lucky because the local mutual aid group that we kind of came out of um has already they did this amazing job of like mapping where people are and what they like where people you know uh need money or need food or, or whatever and from that they actually have been dealing with a lot of like vulnerable people um delivering their prescriptions and whatever so actually they've started referring people to us and we are setting up a virtual landline so that people can call us um which will go a long way then in helping uh houseless people or yeah, like you were saying, people who don't have um, like access to the internet. Because sure, we, we've had like a fair few of people who've not directly, but indirectly, we've heard they need money or they've heard about us, but don't know how to like access us. So like, we're trying to make it easier as we go along. Yeah, so, um, sorry, can I just, uh, slightly relevant to that, we've got um, like a, an answer phone service that people can ring into and we check the phones every day and we've had volunteers from, so we're very location based. We're just, we're Belper and a little bit of the surrounding areas. Uh, we've had people firing around, we've got notices in shops and when people ring in and we get to like call them back and talk to them, we have been able to say like, you know, do you need, do you need food? Do you need money for something? Um, and we have definitely, cause we're mostly Facebook based but we've definitely reached people there who would have had no idea how to do the internet type stuff. Mm -hmm. Cool, all right, I've got a hand from Peter. Uh, I wanted to ask Hunter, why did you like ask like what the people need the money for? Yeah, I think it was just for us to um, understand the people better you know, what are the kind of needs and what are the different resources that we could build around it as well. So if people are really looking for um, financial support around rent, then we know that we can possibly like look at London Renters Union as a different resource that they could have in addition to that. If people are looking around like, um, you know, being able to pay their bills, is there other support that we kind of build around like, uh, you know, non-payment non of like your electrics or whatever it is if people are looking for food support then we know what that is if people are looking specifically for support around um transportation and taxis if there's uber codes that we could send them and like just kind of looking at these different um elements that we could support them in addition to that and but it was an optional question so people didn't have to answer that at all if they didn't want to and they chose the level of information they gave us some people wrote a sentence some people wrote a paragraph it was never um something that people we made it really clear that we weren't pressuring them to answer this like this was definitely an optional question yeah that makes sense all right and if people said beer if people, if people said beer then that's like we weren't there to judge like we made that really clear with yeah. like if you want to if beer is what's going to get you through this pandemic who am i to judge you know <laughs> great I, there was a link, uh, Beth posted a, a link in the chat, which is a group set up for people to directly ask for support. 
So is this also, maybe Beth, you could explain what this group is. Is this also like a way of uh, income distribution? Uh, yeah, I, I got recommended um, this by a contact in Nottingham who was working on Mutual Aid there. It was uh, before COVID-19 uh, lockdown in the UK. It's been running for a little while. I've recently joined, so I don't feel like I can speak to how it was set up. But um, what I've seen so far in the first few days is that people will post and explain their situation. They don't have to like give masses of details, but they can say what they're asking for, uh, funds for and then people either bump the post by like commenting to keep it high while the person collects funds or um, they respond and say that they've donated. Um, so it's a, it's a different model from each layer that is quite direct in its support. It's quite public then as well isn't it? Uh, it's a private group so you have to join and agree to a bunch of terms in order to be part of it um and you um there's a kind of um a, an element of trust in that certain people are allowed to ask for funds and certain people are not um which is stated very clearly at the top I, again i don't want to speak um as someone who's like very new to um the group but um yeah it seems like it's been very well organized and moderated from what i've observed okay thanks for that a while and um, it's a really really cool group it's uh run by uh trans uh, POC folk and often um, they don't have the funds that would be ideal uh, to redistribute in the group um, so if people people were sort of saying oh we've got money and sometimes you know there can be some left or something like that but that would be an amazing direction for any uh, funds that are available to go in because it's such as run by incredibly hard-working people that are and have been plugging a gap and it's been it's been going on for like more than a year um mm. it, it's just a really really um really amazing bit of work can, can you just repeat the name of that group please uk mutual aid it's a facebook on facebook all right that's the same group that beth also was talking about yeah same group yeah, I also know from Seth that you're making a list, right, of all the solidarity funds that we have out there. And uh, I know that I sent you some uh, entries for that list, including a prisoner solidarity fund. Um, and uh, so there's, there's many other sex worker solidarity funds set up by Swarm. There's one now for uh, nannies, and, um, uh, nannies and childminders. There's one for cleaners. Uh, so perhaps uh, we can also share that list in the in the notes um, afterwards. That'd be good if anyone has any spare cash or if anyone wants to uh, spread the word about those groups as well. Uh, cool. Do we have any other uh, questions or comments or contributions to make? Welcome, Grass, by the way. Nice that you could join us. Um, oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Were you talking to us? Well, yes. Just... Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. How, hey, how is going? We are, we are from Grass, the Grass Social Center in Holloway Road. Yeah. Do, do, do we introduce ourselves or? Yes. Why not? What's everyone else done to introduce? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So we are a, a squatter social center in near Holloway Road Station. 
we've started as a social center, but we've turned because of the crisis, we turned into like a mutual aid center. We organize food distribution, a community fridge, a community library. Uh, we all we manage. We currently manage the community fund for the local mutual aid group. Although we are moving to uh, use a different platform and let kind of like other people manage it, uh, so it doesn't have to be centralized on us. And just kind of like trying to do, you know, spreading mutual aid as far as possible in our area. Brilliant. And you're doing redistribution of another kind also with the squatting as well, right? That's also an interesting um, model of um, redistribution. I think that's on the up at the moment, as, as far as I can tell. Yeah, um, I mean, we yeah. don't have any specific plans in terms of like, um, called, you know, housing people Although there has been people, we are in contact with the people who definitely try to do that kind of stuff, and I think are doing that kind of stuff. But you know, having this space and just being in a neighborhood doing these times has been extremely useful. And like, it means that you know, people come here to pick up food, and they see like a bunch of anarchist flags, and they're like, "Yeah, cool, and whatever." You know, they and and they they pre they obviously know who we are, and you know that this is a squatter space. They know about our politics. But they've also been seen as like you know do work with them and do as much as we can during these times. So they most people honestly like they like us quite a lot, um, and they you know they're fine with us. So that has, it has been a good opportunity to kind of like spread ideas and reach outside of like the leftist bubble. Is there any Kropotkin in your communal library? Uh, not yet, but there'll there'll be a certain point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh. <laughs> Great. I'll come and have a look. Okay, do we have any other questions or does anyone want to uh, give a shout out to any, um, to their groups, talk about their groups or do you want to talk about any events you've got coming up or just anything else, talk about the weather. Uh, Rosanna. Hey, um, yeah, thank you so much for the talk. It was really interesting. Um, so our group, Our Future Now, we do um, workshops called Radical Mutual Aid. And yeah, we've been carrying them out for, we did it for Waltham Forest Mutual Aid Groups. And I think we're going to do Hackney. And basically in the workshop, uh, we just go through, yeah, we go through like who Kropotkin was and we talk about Black Panthers and we talk a bit about dual power and uh, solidarity not charity um and we're not yeah we're not teachers we're just there to like talk to people we have we've just read up a bit and we just have a bit of discussion and we like to learn about everyone what everyone else has been doing um we did have one really good success story where we had the last one we had a lib dem come and by the end of it she was like you've completely changed my mind and she's still been talking about our workshop and she's just like turned really radical now <laughs> so um yeah i'll put in the chat like our our facebook um mm. and you can request because yeah we it basically fills up really quickly so you can like request us to do a workshop for your group basically um yeah an, an online workshop that's amazing did she tear up her Lib Dem card in, in front of you? <laughs> um, <laughs> next election, maybe. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> 
Yeah. We, yeah, you, you can come and sort out some of the liberals in our groups too. <laughs> I like this a lot. We'd love to. <laughs> Great. Yeah, we could do it online as an activist cafe as well. Maybe you can like train us as trainers. That would be cool. Like if you can teach us all how to uh, turn liberals, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, we really want to train other people to deliver it because yeah we there's like three of us at the moment who've like got the knowledge but we're trying to like train up other people so yeah like um stay in contact with me basically uh i could yeah just write to our facebook group i think that's the best way of doing it yeah how do you sign up for the workshop uh... um so i'm i'm just posting now an eventbrite so that's the one for hackney but i think it's already full up you can but you can take a look at the blurb and yeah i think but if you want us to create one for your group, um, your mutual trade group, then just DM the page. I think that's the best way. And then we'd have to sort out the times and things like that. This was the Common House recording of the Activist Cafe of the 19th of May 2020. Like the Common House on Facebook to hear about future Activist Cafes and get in touch if you'd like to host one or have suggestions for topics or speakers. Thanks and good night.